want to start this evening by reading a story from Gil Fronsdale's book called A Monastery Within. And it's a wonderful book of parables. Um, all of them have a wise abbess who is like the, the lead of the, of the monastery. And many, many people have all sorts of different experiences with the abbess. So here is one story called Inside Out. An engineer had been a regular and devoted visitor to the monastery for many years. The meditation practice taught at the monastery was the only thing that made sense to him. In fact, the pragmatic logic of meditation teachings gave him hope that he would overcome his chronic unhappiness and deeply felt pain. He tried all the meditation practices that the abbess taught him. He began each practice technique with enthusiasm, only to have each end with the same frustration. He would encounter a wall he couldn't pass. The closer he came to the wall, the more he would recoil back into trying to think his way out of his pain. Hint there. The closer he came to the wall, the more he would recoil back into trying to think his way out of his pain. Offering him much support, the abbess encouraged him to relax, trust the practice, and simply feel his inner pain without reacting to it. After many years, the abbess decided a different approach was needed. During his next visit to the monastery, the abbess told him that if he wanted to continue being her student and to be able to return to the monastery, he would have to take on a special practice. Once he had completed the assignment, he would then return for deeper teachings. Once more feeling hope, the engineer quickly agreed. And the, so the abbess said, for two years, I want you to volunteer each week at the maternity ward at the local hospital. The hospital needs people to hold babies who are born prematurely. If they don't receive enough physical contact, the babies will not grow healthy. When you have finished these two years, please come back to see me. The man was quite perplexed by this instruction. But because of his trust in the abbess and his failure to find any relief elsewhere, he plunged into volunteering in the maternity ward. He was surprised how small and fragile the babies were that he held. He would hold them ever so carefully. He would watch their every breath because they all seemed in danger of stopping breathing. He spent a lot of time thinking about how he could more effectively care for the babies he held. But there was nothing more effective than simply holding them against his chest. After about six months, he started feeling something quite new. He started to feel a little spot of warmth and softness in the very center of his being. Since this was a foreign experience that didn't fit any of the ways he thought about himself, he ignored it. Ignoring it was the best thing he could have done because it prevented him from interfering with the warmth by thinking about it too much. Over the following months, this tender spot grew until it pervaded his body as it did, the cold, dark wall around his heart slowly relaxed, thawed, and dissolved. 
When he had completed his two years of volunteering in the maternity ward, the engineer returned to the monastery. The abbess saw immediately that he was a changed man. He was no longer desperate. He was no longer trying to fit everything he experienced into a conceptual framework. Now he wanted to learn what else the abbess had to teach. Giving him a new instruction, the abbess said to him, When you meditate, don't think about what is happening. Rather, let your awareness be seated in the tender warmth you feel in your body. If you do this, any any meditation practice you do will be fruitful. The man found this to be true. So this tender heart that we have, and yet often we build walls. I know for myself, there were many years I described myself, I could feel it. I had this idea that I was wandering around in a tank, not a fish tank, the other kind. That it it was very armored that I was seeing out through little holes and nothing could get in. And I didn't find it particularly comfortable or pleasant, but it was what I knew. And it took a lot of time. Uh, Maybe it would have been faster in the maternity ward since I think it took a lot longer than two years. But um, coming to terms with these tender hearts and how do we meet this tenderness? How do we open up? How do we allow ourselves to feel what we feel? Emotions are a completely natural part of our human existence. Emotions are how we process, how we let the challenges, the difficulties, the sufferings, the events of the world come through us and be known. It's the way these systems allow what are ourselves to be impacted and it not to just come in and stop is through allowing the emotions to move through us. There's really interesting research that says if you allow emotion completely, it like lasts, I can't remember, it was like seven to 10 seconds. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely in the way because my emotions last longer than that. But The point being that they're like these waves that can flow through us. And when we block that flow, when we get in the way, that blocking of it jams up this natural processing system. And when we block it, we store it. You've heard what we resist persists. We store all this unprocessed 
felt, known experience. And a big part of our practice is to allow these experiences to flow through us, to not be afraid of our emotions, to not even think that something has gone wrong when we have emotions. I find it very um, uh, inspiring and affirming to think about the Dalai Lama, who there are just story after story of him, you know, like, I remember when I was in Dharamsala at one point, hearing the story of the Tibetans that were still, you know, and still to this day, are coming out of Tibet and coming across the mountains. And the incredible, arduous journeys and the loss and just that process of leaving their country. And at least at that time, the Dalai Lama made a practice of whenever there were new immigrants that had made this hard journey, he would meet with them. He would welcome them. And I didn't see it, but uh, someone I know witnessed this, and they said he would just, they, they would tell him his story, and he would just weep, just overcome with just the impact with his heart open and soft. And then they would have their meeting and he would connect with them. And a minute, few minutes later, he'd be laughing with them and joking and then they'd leave and he'd be, you know, that vibrant, uh, energetic self that we see, that the emotions would flow right through him with complete transparency. And the joy would flow through him with complete transparency. And this is one of the important things to realize about emotions is that we have the idea that that we can block the difficult emotions and have the good ones. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. When we are holding things at bay, when we are holding our interaction, our impact of the world, not only do we block the afflictive emotions, but we block the joyful ones as well. So to free our heart is to free ourselves up and make us available to all the range of our experience. We all, we each have our own personal emotional history. You know, how it's unfolded for us. And we're each very particular about perhaps what emotions we allow ourselves to experience, the ones we don't allow or avoid. Some of us might be very comfortable with sadness. And when something happens and sadness is here, the sadness flows through us. We feel it, we're tender with it. But when something happens that makes us angry, I'm not going there. I don't get angry. Anger isn't safe. Someone else 
It might be the opposite. Or it might be, you know, somebody gets frustrated and feels the frustration and somebody's like, no, I'm patient. I'm always patient. You know, and you can just feel them about to explode, not even, that it's hard to even acknowledge that. They were taught when they were a kid, you know, be patient. Okay. Can you imagine telling a kid to be patient? That's what being a kid is about, right? Now. And this exploration into our emotional experience is not easy. Someone actually said today, it takes a lot of courage. It does. It takes a lot of courage. Because we often have a lifetime, however long that is, of avoidance of it. And we had good reasons to avoid it. That was the strategy that worked. That's how we got through. So to turn and say, okay, I'm willing to experience this which is unfamiliar, which I have avoided, which I thought I would never, that part of what I would do with meditation is get to ship it off without ever having to look at it. Not possible. Not possible. There's a quote from Young that I like. He says... One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The latter is disagreeable and therefore unpopular. That's what we're doing some of the time. Anne had that wonderful analogy of we're like this house with all these different rooms. We have lots of closets and lots of under the beds and corners and attics. It's just what, it's just natural. It's what we've accumulated. And so in our meditation, we naturally get curious and we want to shine the light. One of the important pieces in this process is understanding that the emotional history is in many ways stored in our bodies. So when we commit in our meditation practice to feeling and sensing and connecting with our bodies, we are both um, committing to the way that we can process the emotions, but also in doing that, we're likely to uh, find them bump up against them, set them free. And you may have noticed with the movement activity today, it it could happen for you. Maybe some of the times we would move and then you'd sit after the movement and some surge of emotion would come of some sort or even while you were moving. And sometimes that's, we're loosening it up. You might notice sometimes that there's pain in your body. And when you really really pay attention to that pain, you discover some emotion comes with it. Not always. Some pain seems very structural, but sometimes. Our usual pattern with afflictive emotions is 
If it's one that we're not comfortable with, we either avoid it or suppress it. So I'll stay with anger for a minute. That we either imagine that we, you know, are never angry and contain that and just sort of try to hold that. Or we're afraid that if we didn't do that, we would act it out. Then we'd behave, in my case, like my stepdad. You know, for a long time I denied that I had anger because the way I had seen anger expressed was inappropriate. It was unskillful and harmful. And so I saw two options. I went for the avoid. And so one of the things that we do with our practice is we give ourselves a third option. We give ourselves the option to feel and experience and get to know our emotion without acting it out. There is so much liberation in that. To know that you can be sad and nobody else has to fix it. To know that you can be angry, you can be frustrated, you can have grief. And you don't have to, nobody else has to solve it or fix it. And you don't need to put it on somebody else. You don't need to blame it on somebody else. It doesn't even need to impact other people in a negative way. This is one of the benefits about retreat. But it's true in our lives too, if we set up the container for it. So this third option is super important because as we allow that option of feeling, knowing, getting in touch with it, we open up emotion as part of our path of practice. And this is what I want you to really come away with, is an understanding that emotion is included in our path. It's interesting, there are a number of Tibetan teachers that have, after years of teaching, have said that what limits Western practitioners is the lack of connection with their body, specifically the emotional body, the physical body that is imbued. Sometimes people talk about the subtle body. We've been working with the subtle body since you got here, meaning the body as we experience it directly, not our ideas about it, but the body in its emotional, physical, sensory, sensory expression. The Tibetans also have a uh, description of it that I kind of like. They talk about the nadis. And they talk about the nadis as energy paths. And they go through our body. And that when we block emotion, the nadis get all tangled up. And when we allow the energy of emotion to flow through us, 
the nadis relax and open up and then energy and ultimately care, compassion, clarity and understandings of emptiness can flow through the open channels. This is a poem from Roshani. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of which depth emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words, through which we pass with each loss, out of whose darkness we are sanctified into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound, whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole. To meet this, we have to really, this whole, what I'm really encouraging here is this very important change of attitude. Not that we need to go chasing after emotion, but rather when it arises, when something happens, that it is here, that it's an opportunity, that it's a time we can turn to it, know it, feel it, experience it, welcome it, and see what's there to be understood. A little excerpt from Pesta Gertler. Finally, on my way to yes, I bump into all the places where I said no to my life the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them one by one close to my heart, and I say, holy, holy. That's this shift. And this is why since the beginning of this retreat, we've been clarifying that it's not about having the quiet, perfect sit. The opportunities, the opportunities often come when it's not so perfectly quiet. Nothing wrong with quiet. Those are good too. There's lots to learn there. But there's a lot that's available at other times. An analogy I like is, you know, if you're riding a bicycle and you're riding a bicycle always downhill and there's a breeze at your back, It's really nice, but you're not building that capacity that I talked about. You're not building understanding. You're not building strength. But if you bicycle up a hill, it can be hard. But there's a lot of good stuff happening. You're discovering you can bicycle up the hill. Your heart's getting stronger. Your breath. You're going slow. You're seeing the view.
So there's a process that we go through with emotion. And first I want to name just how it often starts. First of all, there's some sort of trigger. Something happens. Could be something big, could be the littlest thing. Could be, you know, somebody put green beans in the lunch. And all of a sudden you're in a rage because you've hated green beans since you were a little kid. And how could they be so inappropriate? I'm using green beans, but actually, you know, I notice for myself, I, I'm a, I can't eat gluten. So I'll go through the line and I'll be all fine until I discover they, I don't even need the dessert. Need, I, I'm not even thinking about dessert. But then I discover that they've made gluten cookies, but no non-gluten cookies. And it's gotten a lot better over the years, but for a while I could really feel all my stories about deprivation from my childhood would arise. Nobody's paying attention to me. Nobody cares about me. I could just watch it happen. And if I didn't watch, then I was in trouble because I'd be really caught, really caught in it. So there's some sort of trigger. And then we have this reactivity, this pattern of reactivity that arises. And one thing that's important to remember is just as I was giving in that little example of the cookies, often something is the trigger, but the emotion that arises may be out of proportion to the, the trigger that's happened. And that's because all the old blocked emotion around it, is also there. Sometimes on retreat, the trigger can be, you know, like a pain in the body. And all of a sudden, it's like a whole surge of sadness or frustration or something will come, either related directly to that or just that that somehow was the stimulus for the mind. Sometimes it'll be a thought. Sometimes it might be something we see might be something we hear. The, the input that is a trigger for us is often very, quite varied. And it's something that's useful to look at and recognize. Oh yeah, that's where the trigger started. That's why there was this big surge. And then let's see what else is here. What that kick, what, what was the uh, big leaf pile that that stirred up? So we have, probably some of you are familiar with this. There's a suggested, there's a mnemonic that I like to use and is very common for working with emotion. And it's useful because it's direct. And when we're in emotion, it's helpful to have something simple. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. So the mnemonic is RAIN. And the first element of it, R, is to recognize. So we're recognizing that an emotion is present. Seems like sometimes that's really obvious, but a lot of times we're pretty far down the road before we realize that. So a couple of things that can help. One is 
sensing if there's urgency. Not long ago, somebody came to a retreat and they'd had a problem on the way there and they were absolutely sure they couldn't come to the retreat and they had to leave. And I didn't know what was going on, but I could feel from their urgency that they were caught in some kind of emotion. This isn't going to work. I have to leave. Or, you know, you need to take care of this now. Or you need to be different. Or I need to fix this. Or this isn't okay. And you can feel the power behind it in your own heart, mind, body system. That tells you that there's some emotion here. We think, we may think, no, this is logical. It has to be dealt with right now. But it's the emotion that is driving that feeling. And then another aspect that often is uh, uh, one of the um, flags for seeing that an emotion is present is that we start to putting in a lot of intense energy to fixing it, solving the problem. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I... And, okay, and then we're going to do this. Or you need to do that. Or this is how it's going to get solved. This is how I can fix that. And, or I don't know how to fix it. Whatever it is. But there's an, all of a sudden, a huge draw towards solving the problem. May or may not be appropriate. But until we let ourselves feel the impact of what we're trying to solve. I used to, um, for a while I've used the example, but it doesn't trigger me in the same way, so it's not as much fun. But when I would walk in my house, there was a counter. Um, There is a counter. And it's where my partner puts everything. Everything. And for a while, I just kept trying to solve it. It's like, I don't want to walk in. There's a beautiful Kuan Yin statue behind there. I don't want to see this thing. And I would like be trying to solve it and trying to find places for everything. And then, and finally, I was like, what is going on? Why, did, why, why this big reaction? And then I had to really let myself feel it. And now, after letting myself feel it and go through it and really paying attention. Now I go and go, yep, there's everything. <laughs> Whatever you need, it's probably there. It's great. It's all there. It's not on the dining room table. It's not on the kitchen counter. It's perfect. But we have to let ourselves get to that place instead of solving the problem. What's going, what's really going on? Another hint for us is the tendency to avoid or distract, move into something else. I know the classic, we each have our classic one. Some people's, it would be go and fiddle with the device. Some, it might be turn on the TV, call somebody. My my favorite is I find myself standing in front of the refrigerator. It's like, yep, something's up. <laughs> you know, it's 
It's, and it's really useful if you can recognize what your patterns of distraction are. Everybody's are different. How do you move away? You might, it might not be an external physical thing. You might do it by getting very logical, you know, and wanting to talk to somebody in a very logical, okay, we can work this out, let's all be calm, and let's talk about it. And underneath, there's something that hasn't yet been made contact with. And as I mentioned earlier, what blocks our ability to recognize and to to make this first step is often our history, that certain kinds of emotions are not allowed somehow for us, that they're not okay, that or we don't know how to deal with them. Or that we've had experience of them, but we're afraid if we contact it, we'll get overwhelmed. And that's important to recognize, that it'll be too much. Or that we'll act it out, as I mentioned before. Another reason we can block emotion is that we might have an idea that a good person wouldn't have this emotion. A good person wouldn't be upset about this. Yes, my friend's late again, but I'm a good friend, so I'm not upset. Really? You know? So, noticing if there's a superego idea about, this is back to that virtual you that sits over one shoulder or the other that you're supposed to be. So noticing if you have an idea about that. And then this gets even worse as we have a spiritual practice. Not only now do we have to be a good person, we have to be a spiritually correct person. Now we're really not allowed to get angry or frustrated or irritated or everything else that we do. So... Notice what might come in, what the voices in are that come in and say, it's not okay to have this experience. And if we can see that, if we can make it past what's blocking our, that's why this first step of recognizing that we're having an emotion is so important. Being willing to say, yep, I'm angry. Sometimes I'm not even quite sure yet what's happening, but I'll say, yep, I'm hooked. I'm totally hooked. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I feel all that kind of churning, urgency, something, somebody's to blame for sure. I haven't figured out who yet, but I will. You know, that, okay, I'm in I'm caught in an emotional response here. Then the second step in this is to allow it to happen. Recognize that it's happening and then accept this is okay. This is a natural response. And as we feel that natural response, we can let ourselves accept both that there's, there's a number of components to it. 
one of the components, is that there's likely to be a story spinning. And it often repeats itself, and it's very sure of itself, and it knows what it, it knows. So watching that, or it might be a story of confusion. This isn't okay, I don't know what's going on. Recognizing that. But there's often a very strong mental component in combined in the emotion. Not always, especially in our practice. Sometimes an emotion will come up and we can feel it and we notice what's happening and there's strong sensation in the body and we look and there's no story about it. And I I see this mostly um, in practice, in meditation setting. And so I, my understanding of that is that it's a cumulative emotion that is being released, is being known, and we really don't have to figure out the thought. We need to let ourselves experience it. There was a period of time when I just had a tremendous amount of fear coming up. I haven't mentioned that as one of the emotions, but that is a lot of fear. And my body was like just full of fear. I couldn't find any particular thing that that was about. I kind of made up a story because I used to be a um, extreme kayaker and I used to be a rock climber that um, free soloed, meaning climbed big things without a rope. And so fear wasn't appropriate response. So maybe I got all that fear because it was accumulated in my body and hadn't been processed. I never really knew directly, but I knew there was a lot of fear and I just had to keep staying with it, feeling it. And sometimes I tried to think my way out of it. I just kept letting myself feel it. And it, it actually was really strong for a number of months. So in case you wondered if this is sometimes like, you know, between 4 and 4.05, it can last a long time. Sometimes developing a new relationship with an emotion that we're not familiar with. Another component, so there's the mental component that may or may not be there, but there's always the physical component. The feeling in the body. And this is the part that we really need to acknowledge and connect with. And that's where the next one comes in, I. Intimacy. To really become intimate. And it's nice to think about the word intimate. In order to be intimate, there's a couple things we need. And one is safety. And that's where I say not acting it out. Knowing, giving yourself a safe container, being kind, giving yourself permission, basically creating the conditions that you may not have had when you first came into contact with this kind of emotion. But you can create them now, here on retreat, in your home, wherever it is needed. So creating that safety. And then also... Intimacy is about being really curious, really being willing to know and understand. Not about hurrying, right? Intimacy is about slowing down, touching, 
ourselves, touching our experience, getting to know it, and opening our heart to it, being willing. One of the most important things about this step of intimacy is is truly being willing to make friends with our experience, with ourselves, with what's happening. Not even doing it like, I'll make friends with myself in order for this to go away. That's one of our little tricks. But instead to really be willing to be with it. Deeply willing. And our body, everything we're doing this weekend is support for that. Because to really know it is to feel it, sense it, know it in the body. In our meditation, that's one of the challenges if we don't have a connection is that we don't have access to this and then the emotions never get fully processed. But the skills you're learning this weekend really set you up for the possibility of knowing deeply really being intimate with the experience. And by that I mean naming it very precisely. Right here, tight, contracted, dense. And and then as we pay attention it might move. Now it's down in my belly and it's a pit and it's tight. And now my arms feel antsy and now my legs are jumpy and now I'm restless, etc., etc. It keeps changing sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. But to be very particular, just as we have been, like in the the afternoon um, sessions and in the morning, where you're feeling into the different parts of your body, to be that intimate with your experience. This is from the Buddha. He says, this is one thing, practitioners, that cultivated and regularly practice leads to a deep sense of, to supreme peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of right vision and knowledge, to happiness here and now, to realizing deliverance by wisdom and fruition. It is mindfulness of the body. And Anne talked about this at length yesterday, and it completely meshes with emotions. And then the last aspect of RAIN, so the first is R, recognize, A, allow and accept, I for intimacy, and N, And this one's a little tricky. It doesn't flow as nicely, but it's non-identification. And there's a couple, sometimes people use different versions of the N. But the non-identification is very important. That attitude of like, this is happening. It's the result of causes and conditions. It's the result of my history. And... It doesn't make me 
a bad person. If I'm sad, it doesn't make me a sad person. Just because I'm angry doesn't mean that defines who I am. So we begin to see here that emotion comes, flows through us, flows out, but we don't own it. It's not who we truly are. We've talked in the, in the evening and tonight and tomorrow more about, and actually along the way, Anne was talking about it today, the goodness that is here in us, our good hearts, this capacity to wake up, we talked about at the beginning. This is a closer um, approximation of who we are. These layers on top, these things that come and go. How could you say that being angry or fearful or irritated is who you are? It comes and it goes. It's gone. Even if it's here for a while. When it's here, if we're not watching carefully, we tend to identify with it and think that's who we are. But this distance that we learn in our practice, you know those moments when you see thoughts And you go, it's just a thought happening. I I didn't make it up. I didn't cause it to be here. It just arose. And I don't need to get involved with it. I don't need to believe that thought. And likewise, when the emotion comes, we really acknowledge it. We let it flow. We understand it. We're curious about it. But it doesn't define us. This is very freeing because then you can be hooked, as I was saying earlier, or you can be angry or you can even be distracted or all the other places. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't define me. It's just what's happening. And I'm bringing as much mindfulness and kindness to it as I can in this moment. And that's good enough. So the last thing I want to say and keep reinforcing with you is that when emotion arises, inviting you to come into your body, keep coming down. Notice if the emotion shows up as a very complex set of thoughts. One of the phrases I like is, if I wasn't thinking these thoughts, what would I be feeling? Often if we're caught in a loop, something's underneath. Okay, this emotion has arisen. What's happening? How can I allow it? How can I turn towards it and let this be a doorway to my healing, to my freedom, towards ease, contentment? Each time we do that, we make more space, more space for loving kindness and compassion, generosity, joy, more space for those to come through us. And this is our birthright. I'm going to end by reading you a poem from Daniel Mead. 
If you would grow to your best self, be patient, not demanding, accepting, not condemning, nurturing, not withholding, self-marveling, not belittling, gently guiding, not pushing and punishing, for you are more sensitive than you know. Humankind is tough as war, yet delicate as flowers. We can endure agonies, but we open fully only to warmth and light. And our need to grow is fragile as a fragrance, dispersed by storms of will to return only when those storms are still. So accept, respect, attend to your sensitivity. A flower cannot be opened with a hammer. So let's just let the words settle and sit together for a few moments. Allow yourself in these these few moments to just check in. Acknowledge whatever's here. Just turn with a willingness. Doesn't mean there's anything in particular here, but just opening the door. saying, yes, I'm interested, I'm curious, I'm willing. So we'll come back in a just under 15 minutes for our final sit together this evening. Mm-hmm.